All right, so this is gonna be challenging for me because I don't usually like sit down. I'm not really that style of teacher, but it doesn't feel appropriate to stand up and to preach to a room this size. But, and I think depending on kind of how the summers feel from week to week, we'll kind of rotate what we do. I think it'll turn into a lot more Bible study, small group type activity, unless for some reason things just explode and it feels more like a normal uh, gathering throughout the summer. I even want to do some outside the box things like we'll do an art night maybe where it's like hearing God's voice and drawing, painting, whatever, different things outside of the rhythm that we would normally do that would also be hard to facilitate on a normal Sunday night during the semester. But I did want to lay out more of it teaching, so I'll talk more than I probably would most nights. We might still, on a normal rhythm, have people do a teaching or devotion that's like 10, 15 minutes that would take us into a group discussion or a small little like teaching over a Bible passage and, hey, let's dive in and discuss it. But this is more of an overarching theme I really felt for the summer for this community um, recordings will probably throw us on the podcast for people who aren't in town this summer. Uh, but the theme is deepening. Deepening would be the verb, the thing I feel like we're called to. Deeper would be the adjective. So insert on the other side of that, whether it's deeper maturity in Christ, deeper intimacy with the Holy Spirit. And I believe as I'm laying this out as a broad kind of general topic, the Holy Spirit is going to begin to highlight specific areas. I couldn't possibly get into every specific application of a deeper walk with the Lord or where he might have you at in your specific development. So trust the Holy Spirit to highlight those areas to you in practical next steps. And maybe in coming weeks, it'll be highlighted to us, oh, we need to talk more about prayer and how that leads to deeper. And the noun would be depth, right? Like what we're after ultimately is depth. When will we know that we've arrived at depth? We'll be standing on the other side of eternity in the boundless ocean of God's glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And we'll never get to the end of that, right? So this is not like, oh, I've got it. Now I'm deep, right? But I can definitely think of, and if you've been around some older people in the faith, some people who have deep character in Jesus, some people who have deep intimacy with the Lord, people who have deep wisdom, right? Deep biblical knowledge and revelation and deep history in God. And our call is, what I really feel like this is about preparation. I I think there's going to be explosive, by faith, I believe there's going to be explosive activity, growth, and harvest coming in the fall, but we don't want to either be worn out by that or be just so, like you said, Reinhard Bonnke. Reinhard Bonnke used to show up in towns in Africa, and they'd be chanting his name, Reinhard, Reinhard, and he'd get the whole crowd to start chanting. He's like, no, 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 Jesus, Jesus, right? It's like God could entrust to him, I think 79 million souls recorded who came to Christ through his ministry because of the depth of humility, the reliance on the Holy Spirit, the walk that he had with the Lord. So I think rather than the summer being a time to lean back and be like, oh, there's not a whole lot going on, it's time to lean in and say, Lord, would you do a deep work in us so that you can do something in and through us ultimately? And we have such a depth of character, a walk and intimacy with you that it neither goes to our head nor that we're just like operating on the surface. We don't just want to be personality, charisma, and wittiness, right? We want to be depth in the Lord that's real substance, right? I think about, um, yeah, like the word reality comes to mind. It's like sometimes I say things, and you've probably done this before, you say something spiritual, it's like, man, there's so much more gravity and weight to what I just said than the experience of the thing I've actually had of what I'm talking about. It's not going to keep me from talking about it because I know it's there, but I don't just want to use this big language and have this much experience of it. I actually want to enter into the reality of it, right? And that's what this is ultimately a call to. I'm going to read a rather lengthy quote from a book called The Leadership Secrets of Billy Graham uh, by two guys, Harold Myra and Marshall Shelley. 
And I'm going to change one of the words that he uses because it's a pretty uh, intense word. I think I can get the point across without using it. But it says, Bill Leslie was an inner city pastor and community organizer. And we talked to him shortly before his sudden and unexpected death several years ago. We asked him about the spiritual power needed to be a community leader in a tough neighborhood in Chicago. And he told us that over the years, he felt continuously worn down in his efforts to alleviate suffering, fight poverty, and preserve, persevere despite crime and violence that permeated, permeated his neighborhood. One day when discouragement and conflict caused him to hit bottom, he made an appointment with a nun, Ann Wilder, who had been recommended to him as a wise counselor and spiritual director. Bill, I want you to come up with a word that characterizes how you feel right now, she said. What's the first word that comes into your mind? All right, I'm just gonna say it because you get the full weight of it. I feel raped, said Bill. Who has raped you? Bill told us later the first word that came to mind was God. But he said to Anne, I know theologically that God doesn't rape anybody, but I feel raped by God. Who else has raped you? The church. Everybody comes to me for something, but no one takes care of me. I can ask for anything from, for somebody else, but I can never ask for anything for myself. I feel like an orange. The church has squeezed every bit of juice out of me. Anybody else? Yeah, the community has raped me. Everybody depends on my networks. Any organization in the community that wants money asks me to write their proposals. Bill smiled as he recalled the conversation. Finally, she wisely said, and I've learned to do this with others, would you mind if I change your image? Let's change the image of that of rape to that of a farm pump. Let's say that everybody who comes by grabs the handle and pumps. And I nodded. They sure do. And pressed on. Have you read those passages in the Bible about being a servant? Yes, said Bill. Those are the ones that got me into this trouble. Do you believe them? Anne asked. Yeah, Bill said. I believe them, but it doesn't feel good. You're pumping surface water. So by 1030 in the morning, they've pumped you dry. This is what I want us to get on. Like, by 1030 in the morning, by two weeks into the semester, you're already dry, right? Why is that? They've pumped you dry. Deep down, there are underground streams. If you get your pipe down there, there's so much water that no matter how much anyone pumps out of you, they'll have a hard time lowering the level of water even one inch. That water is always cool. Even though the pump is used a lot, the water goes up through the pump and the pump is refreshed. Have you ever read that passage in John 7? Out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. That's what I'm talking about, Anna Winkton added. I guess what I'm really saying to you, Bill, is that you need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Bill laughed because he was an evangelical Christian. He figured he was the one who was supposed to be saying that to the nun. He told us she knew I had a relationship with Jesus, but was trying to say, way down deep, you're shallow. If you're serious about this, Ann suggested, I think we can help you get your pipe down deep where the people can pump. You may get tired every now and then, but you'll stay refreshed and energized. So this is the call, right? Is that we can, like Jesus, continually give out of ourselves, but not pump from the surface level of our personality, our own efforts, right? Of just us and the strength that we operate in or the gifts or the talents that we have to give in our own ability, but that we can tap into a source deeper than ourselves, right? Which is Jesus saying, come to me and drink. Rivers of living water are going to flow out of you, right? A deep relationship with Jesus and intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Deep rootedness in the Lord that allows us to bear abundant fruit in and out of season. Amen? So this is ultimately a question, the three pictures I'm going to use throughout tonight. It's a question of our source, rootedness, 
and your foundation. So different pictures of this would be, it's about the inward reality matching your outward confession. It's about having sufficient roots to support the coming fruit. It's about the 18 inch journey from your head to your heart. It's about having a solid, well-laid foundation for your life, which is none other than Christ himself. It's about greater intimacy with Christ, a greater experience of the Father's love, and more of the Holy Spirit filling your life. It is about a life of simple trust and obedience. It's about being a true disciple of Jesus. It is about the truth of what it means to be in Christ, which I believe are the two most powerful words in the Bible. In Christ, the apostles love to just shorthand refer to you. In Christ, settling on the inside of you. This is something I pray multiple times. We God let the truth of everything that it means to be in Christ explode on the inside of me. Right when we these things start going from abstract concepts about every spiritual rich or blessing being available to you in Christ Jesus, moving from abstract theological concepts to a reality that dwells on the inside of you, it'll change your whole life. Right, and I want more of that. I want the boundless riches of Jesus dwelling inside of me. Um, so again, uh, as we're talking about this conversation on deepening, one thing that I do want to set up as a disclaimer, sometimes when we talk about, uh, seasons of rest, seasons of work, let's go deeper, let's do more, whatever we fall into these ditches and it becomes very reactioning, reactionary and our discipleship becomes spasmodic where we're constantly in like fits of starting and stopping. It's like more evangelism. No, 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 stop. We need to pray more. And it's like, and then we get going in this. It's like, no, 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 work on your inward life. And it's like, wait, I thought I was supposed to be discipling people. We do this. I'm not about that. I think it's holistic. I think it's integrated. I think it's your outward life and your inner life being knit together and the outward life flowing from the inward life. And of course, there's times when Jesus is like, hey, hit pause. You're just operating out of busyness to be impressive to people or because you want to be a people pleaser. And that's a time to hit pause. But it's also like not saying, hey, I have to wait to share my faith until I'm a Bible expert. It's not saying, hey, I have to disengage from community at church because I need to work on my personal relationship with Jesus. Hey, I'm going to stop serving at church because I need to develop a prayer life. It's not this either or, it's both and. So as you're hearing this call to deepening, it's not go live a monastic life and move up to the mountains for the summer and then come back with some deep mountain revelation for all of us. It's learning how in the knit and grit of your everyday life to have a real walk with Jesus and not disengage from community. Because what Jesus calls you to do is not going to cause you to disengage from the other things he also calls you to do, Right? And so it's learning how to have the outward actions and the inward motions of the heart that match each other to be a fully integrated and holistic person as a disciple and follower of Jesus. And the three-year discipleship program that Jesus had the disciples on was inward and outward. They would have woken up, seen Jesus off some distance, praying alone with the Father. Imagine waking up and, and having to look for Jesus. It's like, where is he? And the sun's just come up. You have no alarm clock, no iPhone to shut off. It's just the sun. All of a sudden... Come, rises up, and it's like, oh, we're awake. And where's Jesus? Oh, he's been up before all of us, and he's gone some several hundred yards, and you're witnessing the prayer life of Jesus, right? But you're also witnessing the healing lines, and the demons being cast out, and the good news being preached, and the multiplication of the loaves. It was both and, not either or, okay? So we're not being called to be uh, monks, although nothing against the monks. I believe a lot of what they do is reactionary. They take background for Christianity. So praise God for Desert Fathers, all those guys. But I think it's learning how to, in our everyday life, follow Jesus and have a deep inward life, even in those things, right? Um, so deep wells create, and this is where 
the, the inward flows to the outward. Deep wells create wells of refreshing for others. Deep roots result in fruitful lives. And strong foundations result in buildings that last and can withstand the winds and the testing of adversity. So again, I believe that God's calling us to this season of deepening because the season of harvest is coming. Um, we want Christ to do that deep work in us so that he can do a deep work through us. And again, here's a few examples of ways that this may materialize in your life. Imagine that one night we're just going through the gospels. Like, hey, let's just slow down and let's just work through different components of the gospel. Let's talk about how you're saved by grace through faith and not through your works. And imagine that your whole identity is rooted in performance. And your experience of the love of God towards you rises and falls based on the type of day that you're having. All of a sudden, as you're getting a deeper heart root in the gospel and what it means to be saved by grace through faith, what's going to spring out of that is a more secure identity in which you're rooted in the love of the Father, right? So the deep roots result in abundant fruit on the outside, right? Imagine how pursuing a deeper experience of God love towards you, so it's like you're singing about, oh, he loves us, yeah, he loves us, and you're like, man, I don't even like myself, right? And we've all been in those moments before, but having a deeper experience of God's love towards you is going to end up filling you with a deeper love of, for other people as well. So it's the inward work results in the outward flowing heart. Pursuing a deeper love of God results in greater obedience to his commands, and a more spirit-filled life overflows in love and service to those around you. So there's three pictures I want to give you guys tonight uh, of what it might look like, and allow the Lord to just work with your imagination as I'm painting these pictures. Three Pictures of moving beyond shallowness towards greater depth in Christ. The first one is an olive tree. And the root verse for this would be Psalm 52, 8, uh, where the psalmist says, But I am like an olive tree, flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. So there was a morning I was in my quiet time, and I read, I think it's Isaiah 9, forget the verse, maybe 6, and it talks about, uh, Isaiah says, here am I, I am the children the Lord has given me, and we are signs in the land. And like their lives were a prophetic declaration. Their names were like a prophetic declaration in the land itself. And I just felt this nudge from the Holy Spirit. Look up your children's names. And we had done this, obviously, when we named our kids. We wanted them to have significance. Like, do a deeper dive into olive trees. So I started looking up olive trees, and I'm so glad that I did. Here is just five of the many more facts that I found about olive trees. If you don't know, my daughter's name is Olive. Number one, longevity. Olive trees can live for thousands of years. There are many trees in the Mediterranean region that are scientifically verified to be as old as 2,000 years. Prolific, number two. The olive tree starts bearing fruit at around five years of age, and a tree in Croatia uh, that is radiocarbon dated to be 1,600 years old still produces abundant fruit today. Man, this is about you getting a vision for your life where you still have abundant fruitfulness for the Lord when you're 75 years old. And you're not just looking back to a season when you had the zeal of youth and you were coming off of the camp hire when you were connected to Ignite at campus, but when you're 75 years old, your heart is still so in love with Jesus, right? Indestructible. This is probably my favorite one. The root system of the olive tree is so robust that it's capable of regenerating itself even when the above ground structure of the tree is destroyed by frost, fire, or disease. In other words, it doesn't even matter what's happening above the surface. It'll come back. So imagine that's like spiritual drought in the land. Oh man, culture's gone to hell. Oh man, everything's getting so bad out there. But I'm so deep in the Lord. I'm unmoved. You know, everything's burning up. Everything is literally going to hell. Everything just feels like 
there's no rain in the land. Oh, but my water source is not dependent on the rain clouds. I'm tapping into streams beneath the surface, right? Um, in Tuscany in 1985, a severe frost destroyed many productive and aged olive trees. It ruined the livelihoods of many farmers. However, when new shoots appeared in the spring and the dead wood was removed, they soon became new fruit-producing trees again. Number four, unparchable. The olive trees are drought-friendly and just like eucalyptus trees, do not need to be watered. And number five, generous. Large olive trees produce an average of about 400 pounds of olives annually. And older uh, and larger trees can produce more. It's estimated that there are about 865 million olive trees in the world today. And I remember there is, because of all of this and because of my daughter's name, I've like really been geeking out on olive trees. And definitely, I don't think I had a favorite tree before, but now they're my favorite tree. And I was thinking, like, man, we need like to plant olive trees in our house. I want to have like a little area in the backyard. I got olive trees. I can go sit under there and have my quiet time. I was like, yeah, lush garden. And all of a sudden, I was like. I think God would like love to hang out with me in this place. And then realizing that Jesus, when it says, I think in John's narrative, when he goes to Gethsemane, where he prays his last prayers before going to the cross, it says that this was a place in his last week, in his Passion Week, where he frequently went with the disciples to spend alone time with them. I'm like, man, not only would, is that like a cool thought, I think Jesus would love to hang out with me. Like literally he did do that thing. It is the picture of the Garden of Eden, and it is the picture of the day that we're moving towards in a renewed Eden where I'm going to walk in lush gardens Amen. with the Lord. And we're going to hang out under some trees in lush gardens. That's amazing. But he's saying, like, I want you to start getting in that place now. It's not a picture of I just want to plant an olive tree in my backyard. I want to be the olive tree planted in the house of the Lord have that root system in him that's so deep and so wide that no matter what's happening above the surface, it doesn't matter because the Lord is my source. Number two, and that means so like your community, oh man, all my friends stopped following Jesus. They weren't my source. Like I needed them. I loved them. Mm-hmm. Oh man, my pastor fell in the world. Like, I hope that never happens. Man, the church is in such bad reputation. I hope none of that ever happens. But my source is in the Lord. Amen. I've got a deep and robust root system, right? This is the life that Jesus is calling us into. The second picture is Jacob's well. Um, The story, I'm just going to paraphrase it because it's a long story for the sake of time. John 4, it's the woman at the well. John 4, starting in verse 4, if you're taking notes, you can read this later, all the way through verse 24. Um, So Jesus is traveling through Samaria. He sits down at the well in the heat of the day around noon. And a woman comes with something to draw water. He has nothing to draw water. The disciples have gone to the town to get Jesus food. And from their long, weary journey, and Jesus asked the woman for something to drink. And you know the whole conversation. It's charged with, uh, you know, racial division between the two of them. But uh, she's like, who are you? Are you asking me, a Samaritan, to draw water for you? And Jesus said, if you knew who was talking to you, you would ask him for a drink. And he would give you living water. And she goes, you don't have anything to draw water with. And she's still thinking, like, very practical. So you got no bucket. You don't have, like, some sack or whatever they used back in the day. And, this, and she goes, and this well is very deep. When I was researching this, if you were to go there today, Jacob's well, it was still there. And it used to be much deeper. It's over 100 feet deep. Nobody had to dig that thing. Over 100 feet deep. And people for generations were drawing cool water from this place in a desert place. 
And Jesus said, but whoever comes to this well and drinks is going to get thirsty again. But I can give you something to drink that will cause you to never thirst again. And she's probably thinking about her long walk. And she's thinking about carrying these heavy bags and the heat of the day and the talk of the people because she's been married multiple times. She's like, all right, give me some of that, right? She has no idea what Jesus is offering. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. I can give you something that satisfies the deepest longing inside of you. All those other wells that you're running, that's why we love to ask out here, what are the core longings of humanity? Acceptance, belonging, legacy, significance, security, love. And it's like, man, those things, those are awesome things. Find their fulfillment in Jesus. And Jesus was saying, there is an intimacy you can have with me through the Holy Spirit that will satisfy your deepest longings. There's a deeper place. And she's like, are you greater than Jacob who gave us this well? Jesus is kind of like, yeah. <laughs> like, I am. I'm before Jacob. I'm the one who gave him the promise. You know, I'm the one that he wrestled with. He doesn't say all this, but that's his name. He's the one that gave Jacob the blessing that, man, it's amazing to think about. So the charge is to make sure that God is the source that you're drawing from. I want you to just pause for just a moment and think about in areas of identity, in areas of security, in areas of hope, in areas of calling, in areas of provision. What's the source that you're drawing from? Wow. I like every once in a while we bump up against and more so as you get older. Toddlers will do this to you. Like, <laughs> like life responsibility will do this to you. Where you come up, bump up against your human limitations and you realize that I'm a pretty limited source. A pretty limited source of knowledge and experience and strength and energy and stamina. It's like, man, at first when you're 19 years old, you feel like you can scale a wall. And then all of a sudden, or you think... Man, when I, I have so much fire for the Lord, when I step foot on that campus, tomorrow you and see Charlotte shall be saved. And then you go two years without barely seeing a convert sharing the gospel. And it's like, I am not going to save you and see Charlotte. God might do a work through me, but I'm not the source. Revival, I am not the source of revival. God may use me as a channel, but I need something deeper. And Thirst exposes you to that need for a deeper source. And I want to tell you, when you can start taking your questions to a deeper source, you'll have a greater well of security too, right? You're going to have a greater source of provision. God has no limitation, right? So it's like, be very wise for us to move from our limited well to his infinite resources and to start drawing from the source of God's strength. One of the best ways you can start shifting your thinking in this, one of my favorite things to pray, is God, you are my source. And I just do this as like affirmation to God. I start moving like in prayer. I just start saying out loud and it starts happening in my heart. God, you are the source of my security. God, you are the source of my provision. God, you are the source of my strength. God, you are the source of my endurance. God, you are the source of my joy. God, you are the source of my peace. God, you, on the days where you don't feel righteous or worthy, God, you are the source of my righteousness. You are the source of my salvation. God, you are the source of my sound mind. God, you are the source of my love. 
And you can start to feel your heart shifting in those places. I want to encourage you. I'm just trying to give you a real simple picture of what that could look like. That's a short list. You could exhaust that list. You could spend your whole morning in prayer just moving from all the places where you're drawing from and get new wells in God. God, you're my fountain, and you never run dry. Jeremiah 2.13, God gives this charge to the prophet Jeremiah to his people. He said, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. If you have any cistern, any source other than God, it's a broken cistern that can hold no water. You'll get halfway into your day, all the self-talk, all the self-esteem stuff, like God can give you good self-esteem, but you know, look at yourself in the mirror, you've got what it takes, Isaac, come on, bro, you can do that, you know, you're a self-made man, it's like, when you get to like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it's like, Man, that did not get me very far. <laughs> but I can keep coming back to the well and keep drinking of the Lord and keep moving my source back to its proper place in the Lord. Wow. And number three, this is where it gets deeply practical, is a house built on the rock. Jesus, at the end of one of his most famous sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, in wrapping up his whole sermon, said in Matthew 7, 24 through 27, Therefore... Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts, no, emphasize this, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. I want to ask, is Christ the foundation that you're building your life upon? And we need to be careful that we're not deceived into believing that we have deep spiritual life because we can share obscure revelations, or we have cool Bible facts to share in Bible study, right? That is not how Jesus evaluates what a deep spiritual life is. It's not obscure revelation. It's not the ability to have some cool thing to say. It's not the ability to show something that like nobody's ever seen in the Bible. That's amazing. I want to see new aspects of God's face. I want, but the real test is that old hymn. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. What, what does Jesus call spiritually mature? Trust and obedience. That's it. God's like, that's the measure of spiritual maturity. Are you walking by faith, which is exercising itself in love and obedience? Or are you operating your own intellect, your own strength, your own resources, and confusing the ability to bring forth some crazy revelation with spiritual maturity but the real root hasn't gone in in your life. Are we living lives of simple trust and obedience? Jesus said the wise one was the one who heard, but didn't stop at hearing, but took the things that Jesus said and put them into practice. Like when we talked about uh, the, the types of soil, if you were here during the school year, sometimes the real efficacy or your response to a, a sermon, to a message, to something you've read in the Bible 
can't be tested in the altar because it's not until you're actually presented with an opportunity to act on the spoken word that you find out how the word took root in your life. Okay? So Jesus says, you know, don't worry. Be, don't be anxious for tomorrow. Today's trouble is enough for today. Look at how I care for the lilies. Look at how, uh, you know, I care for the birds and I give them enough food. And it's like, that's great. You're sitting in the sermon. All your needs are taken care of. And then all of a sudden you land in the season where it's like that word gets tested. And now it's like we will find out how the word took root. Can I look to my father and trust that he's looking out for me, that he cares for me, that he's going to provide me with everything I need? Or am I going to go back? It's time to scramble, right? And it's, hey, turn the other cheek. When somebody slaps you on one side of the cheek, and you have in this season nobody who's offending you, nobody who's stepping on your toes, no relational difficulty, and then six months down the road, oh, all of a sudden, like, somebody says a biting word to you, and you want to, like, snap back with something. And the real test of maturity and the real test of did the word take root is now the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance the word that was spoken. And you have to decide, am I going to be led by the Spirit in this moment? Which is to take the words of Jesus and put them into practice and prove which foundation my life is actually built upon. Because the winds and the waves, the testing of adversity, it's life crashing on the foundations of your life. And they will show in the final analysis were you building on your wisdom or were you hearing and practicing the words of Jesus, which is almost always contrary to what we think is wise. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it feels good. It feels satisfying the moment to lash out or to lash back. Or to experience Jesus says, forgive anybody who sins against you. How many times? Seven times? Seven times said, like an innumerable amount of times. And it's like all of a sudden you experience the release of your heart when you live that type of life and you're showing the foundation that you've actually built for your life. So I want to give that as kind of a closing exhortation because the temptation we hear deeper is like, man, I'm going to like plums. You know what I mean? I'm going to get some type of like crazy whatever, spiritual gifting, whatever. I'm going to have these crazy like pursue problems. Praise God for all. You know what I mean? But it's like, but are we built on the, the rock? Are we solid and established on, on who Jesus is? Do we know the gospel? Because like just knowing the gospel will cure like, <laughs> everything. Like if you had like a firm grasp of the gospel and that truth, that plumb line went down in your life, all the branches of life, who God is, how he feels about you, what your identity is, what your calling is to follow you, all these different things would start budding out of that foundation. So here's what I want us to do. And then maybe I'll have a question for the group. But first, just I want you to take five minutes and you could spread out or you can stay where you're at and just ask the Lord in this season of life during this summer, what is the call to deepening? And I want to call it deepening, probably uh, deeper or something like that sounds cooler, but I want to focus on the verb. What is the action of deepening to which God is calling you so that you can have a deeper insert, whatever, deeper intimacy with the Lord? deeper maturity in Christ, a deeper depth of Christ-like character in your life? What is the deepening action that he's calling you towards? Is it just more time in his presence? Is it more exposure to his word? Is it greater commitment to community, to church? Is it some specific action he's calling you to cut off? Like, what is the call to deepening? Again, I want to focus on the verb. Because if we just say depth, it seems so elusive. It's like, I just want to be deep. Yeah, well, we... Some, Jacob had to dig a well. I mean, he had to get a shovel. He had to go out. 
yeah. and just do some like back breaking work and just shovel and shovel and shovel, believing that at some point he was going to hit water. And generations have been refreshed as, as, for, as a result of his digging. And so where is God asking you to just pick up a shovel and start digging in your life? I want you to take five minutes and then we'll, we'll come back together.